Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to James McDonald, CEO of Kootenay Silver. They're a Mexican uh, focused silver explorer and developer. Um, they're on the TSXV. They've got three projects um, that they're focused on Columba and Copolito, which are high grade vein. Uh, projects and they've also got a, a slightly smaller earlier stage project in La Negra but nevertheless it looks promising and a raft of other small greenfield type um, projects which they would hope to get around to doing something with in the near future. We talk about the high grade results that they achieved last year which sort of jump in the share price. Haven't done much since um, trying to work out what they will be doing. We discussed their business model, their cookie cutter approach to things, how much cash they've got, and how the management um, hope to develop the company over the course of the next year, spending about four and a half million bucks by the end of this year. They will need to raise money in Q1. Enjoy the podcast. James, how are you doing, sir? Good, Matt. How are you? Yeah, not so bad. Not so bad. Uh, glad to be speaking to you. Uh, Silver's a little bit uh, topical at the moment, so um, delighted to kind of hear your story for the first time, share it with the, with the guys and gals. Hey, what about you? You're, you're on the farmstead, you were telling me earlier. Yeah, I was telling you that. So we're sitting here during the COVID shutdown and very fortunate to be on a, a family farm that was homesteaded in 1907 by my great grandfather. So we're able to get out and stretch our legs and not have to worry about social distancing too much out here. Very nice. Very nice, and lucky you. Yeah, we've been talking to a few few folks down in Toronto and Vancouver, and they've, they've got very different stories. Um, but less of that. Um, why don't we kick off? Give us that one minute overview of the company, and then we'll pick it up from there. Sure. Well, Kootenay Silver is an explorer in Mexico, focused primarily in Mexico, and focused on silver exploration and development, discovery, obviously from the name. We also have project generation program going on where we're doing grassroots exploration, finding brand new uh, properties all the time. We do a little work in British Columbia uh, as well. And uh, what we, what group or what Kootenai is really, we've got a very large asset base for a junior company, one that, one of the largest in Mexico for a junior, over 144 million ounces silver equivalent measured indicated category. And, two deposits. We have a, th a third deposit in Mexico as well with no calculation on it. So this gives us a great uh, optionality on the silver price and you'll see that we trade closely to silver uh, price. In addition to that, we are uh, currently actively exploring uh, two high-grade properties in Mexico, uh, classic Mexican veins, Columba and Copolito. Uh, high-grade is works in any silver environment and of course the discovery of a, an economic high-grade deposit you know, has a big impact on your on your value so that's generating a lot of excitement currently and away we go beautiful okay what I noticed when we're listening to you there but also researching for this there's there's a lot of moving parts here so I'm really intrigued um, about what you're trying to build What's the what's the business plan here? I always ask the management team. I need need to know there's a plan here, and it's not just drill, drill, drill. So, can you explain what it is that you, the type of company that you are, or want to be, what you're doing with all of these different moving parts, these these different options, um, you know, and maybe we can get into you know how you're going to get there. But 
let's kick off with the business plan first. Yeah, so the, the business plan is predicated on new discoveries. So we're looking to discover an economic deposit, mineable, in other words, a mineable asset. And silver and in silver space. Uh, silver is a, finding good silver projects is really hard. There are very, very few of them. Um, there are um, a lot less silver projects, good silver projects than there are gold, for example. And that's why you see a lot of the so-called uh, mid-size and senior silver producing companies actually moving into the gold space. And when you look at their, at their mix of uh, metal production, many of them over the last eight years have become gold producers in fact. And so what that means is that at certain points in time, i.e. when you enter into a real silver bull market or a silver producer needs to replace their reserves, those assets get a premium. And you'll see the silver companies trade at a premium compared to gold companies. So that's why we're focused on, on silver. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so what our business plan basically is, is discover a mineable economic silver deposit. And then we will be looking to bring in a partner either to develop that or we'll sell it to them if, if the price is... Right. So this kind of comes back to your kind of pros prospect generator roots from, you know, back in the day, right? So you are saying, yeah. if we track that closely to silver because of, the, you know, the assets that we have and the, and the type of business we want to be, you are reliant on the silver price, which is reasonably volatile. You know, it's, it's up and down. But when it's up, it's time to make hay. So I'm interested in you know how you do that. So when you talk about bringing people and partners in, what what are they? Strategic partners? Are there other silver producers? What is it that you're trying to do? Well, so a couple of things there. Um, there, there. The you talk about the metal price. So any commodity, any resource is is a is part in the in the industry is a, is impacted by the price of that commodity. And uh, of course, when, when you're in a bull market for that commodity, uh, things are very good. And when you're bare, it's, it's not so good. So we're, you know, we're focused on a couple of things. Our objective is to find an economic deposit. Now, some, not all deposits are not created equal. In other words, some work very well at a high metal price and some don't. Some work very well at any metal price. And so we've, in the last two years, because the because of the low um, silver market we're in, there's been uh, more and more opportunity arising to get into projects, those kind of projects at the expiration stage, that if successful, will work well at any metal price. But explain explain metal. that to me. I'm, I'm intrigued by that. But I can understand why high metal price things work. But you said high metal price, some don't work. And at any, you know, there's some models which work at any price. So what do you mean by that? What should we be looking for? What that boils down to is the margin on production. And so you've got so many ounces per ton of rock in a given deposit. And, and you've got a fixed cost. So given the deposit type, it doesn't matter how many ounces are in that rock. You've got a certain cost that it's going to, uh, you're going to incur moving that one ton of rock crushing it, processing it, extracting the metal, and that's kind of fixed. So if it costs you, let's say, for example, three 
ounces of silver per ton or, or 90 grams per ton, if you prefer, uh, then you better have more than 90 grams in your deposit. So high grade deposits always work. And there, there's because of that, your margins are big. So even at a low metal price, you can make money. And uh, to look at it a different way, um, let's say silver's for simple math, 10 bucks an ounce. And it costs you uh, to move that one ton of rock, process it and everything else. Uh, let's say it's an underground mine in Mexico. Uh, let's call it $70 a ton. And so at 10 bucks an ounce, you need seven ounces or about 210 grams just to break even. Uh, if uh, silver was 20 bucks an ounce, you need half of that. But uh, so your grade needs to be well over 200 grams, in other words, at 10 bucks or over 105 grams at 20 bucks. So that's the impact. So, you know, if your deposit's $250, it doesn't, or 250 grams, it doesn't work very well at $210 or 210 gram cost to move the rock. But if you've got, uh, let's say 500 grams in that deposit, and it's costing you 210 grams to mine it and process it, you still got a lot of margin there. You're still making money at $10. Sure. Everyone likes a, a, a bull market in any commodity. Um, but you're describing the ideal project there, the one that can, the economics are so good, it's lowest quartile, and you can operate in, in, in any conditions uh, over the cycles, right? But not, not too many of those around and what, the ones that are aren't too cheap if you wanted to buy them. So let's let's maybe talk about um, what you've got today, because like I said, there seems to be a lot a lot of moving parts there. So do you want to kind of go through the, the projects and maybe look uh, Columba first? Yeah. So in that in that context, what we we have we have uh, three different deposits. Two of them start to look interesting on a paper study at better than twenty dollars silver. Today we're at seventeen fifty-ish, right? Yeah. Okay. That's right. So not quite there. There's things we could do to improve them, perhaps. Um, but our money's better spent on those projects that we have that will work at seventeen or will work at twelve or thirteen, and that's Columba. And it's also the other project we're drilling this year called Copolito. So we've got these two, and why? Because of the grade we see in the veins there. They're both vein type deposits. And the grade potential at Columba looks fantastic. We, we got into Columba, it took, took over a year to negotiate the deal. We got introduced to it. It was owned by a private Mexican. And uh, we went in, did three different trips, uh, due diligence. There was historic mining there in two periods, like 1910 era. Quite a bit of extensive uh, underground working was was done. A shaft was sunk, six levels. They went 200 meters deep. So they were obviously getting ready to mine that portion of that particular vein. And they got shut down by the revolution. And then in the late 1950s, some guys returned with some private mining and tried to mine using that development. Uh, probably 100,000 tons only were extracted. Uh, 
But what got us excited was looking at this old data. Nothing had been done since at least the 1980s yet in terms of a, any sort of drilling, and it was minimal at best at that time. In this historic data, there's these old maps laying around. Well, not laying around, they're in boxes. So we dusted them off, looked at them. The data was very scant, but there was these sample maps of every one of these tunnels that was put in. And the grades there were ranging from 300 grams per ton, which is a decent underground grade, to almost 900 grams per ton, which is a fantastic underground grade. And this ha hadn't been drilled. So we couldn't, first of all, we, it was hard to believe those numbers that this thing is sitting there with those sorts of grades and hasn't been drilled. And there's lots of reasons why that happened. Uh, and we could get into that, but that's it. It's a fairly lengthy discussion. It's got mostly got to do with the uh, the mining laws in Mexico and how these concessions can get stuck in limbo for many many years when taxes aren't paid, etc. Uh, so at any rate, uh, we weren't able to re-enter that old mine because it was flooded. So we had to take a little bit of a chance and we structured a deal such that we had a good two years without any significant size payments uh, so we could drill test it. And we accomplished that, in fact, the first year to confirm those grades that we got in there last year, started drilling right uh, within about three months after signing the deal. We put in 42 holes last year and uh, 6,800 meters of drilling and nicely confirm those historic numbers. In drilling, we're, we're getting numbers exceeding 1,000 kilograms, up to 2,000 grams, or 1,000 grams up to 2,000 grams per ton, so one and two kilos uh, in narrower intervals. Uh, and so what we're seeing there is, is that vein is very uh, rich in grade. Yeah, it's very consistent. We spread holes out over wide spaces between holes, 100 and 150 meters, which in that, in a, in a vein that can be, veins can be very variable, so you need a lot of density of drilling to get confidence. And what, so when you're stepping out that far and you're still getting con, uh, continuity and grade continuity and vein continuity, it's, it's really exciting to us because we know, okay, this thing is hanging together. It looks really good. So the stage we're at now is there's several veins on the property. So our, our follow-up to last year's program is go back in there, see how big this one particular vein in the historic area is, is going to get, uh, this so-called what we would call an ore chute potentially. And then at the same time, move on to these other veins that we also drilled and also got some very good results in and start to step off of those to, to, to see if we've got some size developing there. So there's numerous different veins in this project, uh, well over 10 kilometers of strike length when you add them all together. Um, that sort of scope tells us that we've got a, a, a property that could host 50 to 100 million ounces of silver here. And if you've got economic grades, that makes a nice, real nice mine. And any silver producer would be very interested in wanting to have that asset. So the stage we're at now is still pretty early. 
we can see it's really coming together in that one vein, we need to go and establish it that that's occurring on the others. And then the follow-up to that would be, okay, now you've got to get some drill density here, sufficient drill density, so enough drill holes to be able to have confidence on the continuity in grade and do your resource calculation. And then from there, you do, you're doing your metallurgy in concert with that work. And so at the end of it, you can start to talk about a preliminary economic assessment that gives the first snapshot of what the economics of a potential mine may look like on the deposit that you've just defined. Okay, so you've, you've, got, you've gone through a process there and I understood. Um, what's, what's holding you back from advancing this, you know, at, at, with a bit more pace to, because you, you've hit high grade, you're going, going through the usual process and so it looks like you're going to do a PEA. And given the model you described earlier, when, what's, what's your vision for how this thing plays out? At what point do you bring that partner in? Or do you flip it over? Well, it, it can happen. Uh, the, the most likely scenario is that we finish out this current program of 7,000 meters of drilling, which, of course, now we've been stalled with the current worldwide shutdown here, COVID-19. Now we're just beginning to restart again. So uh, we'll still be able to finish our budgeted program probably by end of October here, uh, 7,000 meters of drilling. That's going to give us a pretty good idea of the, of the scope that this thing may be. Is it, going to, is it going to be 30 million ounces? Is there going to be anything there economic? Right now it really looks that way, but we have to continue to prove that. Are we under something that could be 100 million ounces? And if it's approach, if it's something that could approach that size, there's going to be a lot of buyers for it. And and the way the industry is currently um, wired right now, if you will, is these companies tend to sit there and let the junior do as much work and eliminate as much risk as possible. So the things that you can help along the way to do, to eliminate risk as you're defining the size of your resource, see if it's economic, get onto those metallurgical studies, start some environmental baseline studies, start that work that leads to the initiation of the permitting, uh, get your land access agreements in place, which we have, all of those things you need to be able to advance to mining. So we're doing all these things in the background at the same time. And those things help um, mining company pull the trigger and also add value to the asset at the end no, of the day. I, I understand that. I understand that. But I'm try, what I'm trying to get out of you is, you know, you, it's your decision making as well. So you, you, you're going through this process. There's a point at which, you know, because it's, it's, it's wishful thinking otherwise to go, you know, but it's 50 million, 100 million ounces. You've got, you make decisions based on the data that comes back. And I'm, I'm saying, yeah. What would the data need to look like to get you interested enough to actually say, right, I think we've done enough here. We've got some, a lot of other projects. I think that the, the most valuable point at which to exit is X. So what, what, what do you think that moment is? That, well, <laughs> tricky question because there's a lot of moving parts on the way. Sure. And, and so you're, you're assessing a lot of variables that include the overall market. Um, and, and and the ability to raise capital 
the metal price, quite a few things impact that. But uh, probably just just in a very basic approach would be at that PEA level uh, is a great place to pull the trigger because now you've expended you know a significant number of dollars, but not a whole bunch. When you start moving beyond that, you get into feasibility study, pre-feasibility to feasibility that could make sense too. Right. It's not. It's by the proportionally, you wouldn't be spending that many more dollars. But after that, now you're going to be talking about construction, building a mine, and there you're getting into a lot of dollars. And unless your market cap is really appreciated, which in a bull market it, it can do, like my experience with the with Almost Gold which we put together in 2000, um, that project came on just at the perfect time. We, that was another company we bought at the bottom of the gold market, uh, Almos Gold. We bought this great asset, was out of the money. Gold market went for over 10 years after that. And the timing was so good that the stock appreciated so much we were able to do equity financings all the way and build a $100 million mine and just keep going. So that's one of the variables. If you are in a scenario in a strong bull market and you've got a really good uh, well, share so, price, yeah. it's better it, money. Yeah, it's, okay. it's a big part of where I'm going with this conversation, which is we talked, I used the phrase earlier, you know, um, silver can be, silver price can be volatile. It's you know up around seventeen fifty today. Some people think it's going to hit twenty. I've seen, I've seen some ludicrous. Well, I've seen some interesting uh, quotes. People thinking it's going to hit a hundred. Um, so lots of thoughts about where it's going. But what it's what it's probably going to do quite in in a short time frame is go back down again because it just that's the way silver behaves. So how do you assess, you know, the, the the cycle, the length of the cycle? You've got to have a view as a management team to say, look, we're probably not going to hit this cycle. Our projects are just too early or we've just hit it right. Sound like Goldilocks and the three bears here. You know, we, the timing is just right. Um, and you know, so what's your assessment of, of Columba? Have you timed it right or do you think it's just a little bit too early this cycle uh t- timing has got to do with a lot with serendipity because <laughs> I'd, I'd hate to be an analyst and, and review my predictions every year that's horrific uh, yeah but what what we can look at is the length of time we've been in a bear market on silver and we can look at the macro here so we've been in a bear market since 2011 2012 that's a long, long time. Gold has broken out of that bear market quite significantly. Silver hasn't yet, and it will. It always follows gold. And so what can change that? Well, silver's got quite an industrial demand component gold doesn't have. Uh, silver also trades as a monetary asset, which is gold's primary uh, use. and Therefore, it's got this extra inelasticity or inelasticity due to that industrial demand and monetary demand. When those two are converge, you get very explosive moves in silver. 
um, like the last the last bull market it went over fifty dollars an ounce, and Pan American Silver had an asset called Alamo Dorado, which is pretty similar to our Lenegra asset, but it was but it was bigger. Um, same kind of grade, open pit potential, and they got that into production just as the silver bull market started. And they were doing four to five million ounces of silver a year there, and their cost was seven or eight dollars an ounce silver, with silver trading from thirty to fifty dollars an ounce. So they were free cash flowing 150, 200 million ounces a year off of one mine. So when you really hit it, these, these mines make a lot of money. That's why a junior company can get a real premium for a high margin mine. Sure. And back here. But, but I'm, ask, I'm asking you, do, you, do you think you've got an asset which is going to hit this cycle? Because again, it just helps inform us about your thinking and where you think these assets are at and how quickly you think you can move or need to move. So um, I, I think we're actually hitting it just right. Okay. I think we're on the verge of entering a, a serious silver bull market, and I think one that will last for quite some time compared to terms, historically. And the reason is because of the, of the macro. It, it looked like this was happening in January, we were setting up as far back as January. The gold market had certainly turned. Uh, but now with the COVID-19 pandemic and the the global shutdown of economies and the massive amount of stimulus and money that the central banks have had to inject is never been seen before. And we know what happened last time in 08 when that was done with the precious metals. And our, we're strong, strongly believe that's going to happen again. Uh, it's going to be probably stronger because of the size of the stimulus this time. And so the setup is, is there, the macro is there. Uh, the length of the bear market for silver has been such that, you know, it's due just simply looking at kind of a, at it on that basis. Okay. So I think the timing is really good. Okay. Um, how much cash have you got in the bank? We've got, uh, as of today, just over 6 million cash. Right. And our programs that we're running on both Columba and Copolito, which Copolito is another high-grade situation, uh, we will exit the year with between two and two and a half million uh, if we do no other funding uh, before that. Okay, so you've got enough to drive this year's plans. Well, I guess they, they've been slightly hampered by COVID, as you say, for Columba and Copolito. Um, you're going to enter the new year with two, two and a half million bucks you're probably going to need to raise some money at that point, but you'll know a lot more. So maybe let's talk about Copolito briefly, because um, you said it's another high-grade um, project, and maybe can we can kind of bring those two stories together. So tell me, tell everyone about Copolito and what you what you think you've got there. Sure. So Copolito is very similar to Columba. Columba is a classic high-grade Mexican vein system. In the case of Columba, it's very interesting geologically because it's almost entirely preserved. So you, you could teach classes there on that type of deposit because you can see it from its very top edge which is really advantageous because you know where you are 
We also know that because of that at Colombo, whatever was deposited there, 90% of it's still there because it's barely been eroded. Copolita was the same kind of um, deposit type, high-grade Mexican vein system. We know it's more deeply eroded there because at surface we're getting a lot higher grades. At Colombo, we got to get down the subsurface from the lowest elevations. Once we get a little bit deeper, we start to see the great, great, really good grades. But at Copolito, we see them right at surface. And what's amazing about Copolito is we're seeing these veins that are up to 15 meters wide there, right at surface. And we're getting grades like um, 1,066 gram per ton silver over three meters right at surface. We're getting gold up to eight grams right at surface. And no sign of drilling at all. There's no historic records anywhere, locally no anecdotal stories about some company being there 15, 20 years ago. No sign of drill roads, nothing. We, as far as we can ascertain, it's never been drilled. And that is extremely unusual find. That project took about three years to put together. A lot of complications and land ownership and everything had to be straightened out. We were very patient, very calm, getting that done. And we finally got it done, put together, got the surface access agreements put together, and then started drilling this year, got one hole in, and we had to stop. <laughs> so this, these are the, going to be the very first holes that ever gone into uh, Copolito. Uh, we did announce that first hole. We got the assays back, and they matched nicely to what was at surface above the hole. Uh, it was a real nice grade. It wasn't a high grade, but we weren't in a high grade area. It's just we had a sequence of holes planned out. And so really encouraged by that because we got a lot of areas with truly uh, high grades, of, you know, more than kilogram silver right at surface. And this project's a little bit different because it's got silver and gold, and it's got some base metal too. So it's going to be very interesting. We've got, there's a lot of veins there, six big ones that we can see at surface that we can follow some of them for over two kilometers. So we've got enough sampling at surface. We know, or we know, uh, based on our experience, some kind of resource there. Is it, is it something that's going to be economic? What's the grade going to be? That's the big question. Okay. So that's, that's what we're doing. Okay, so you've got, you've got two quite similar and quite nice projects. You've been slightly hampered in terms of the, the, the drilling and you'd like to work on those obviously the rest of the year and then kind of work out what you've got. Um, uh, Columba, you're talking about you know getting into the kind of PE, PEA before making an assessment about how you move that forward. Um, is, the, is that the same with, um, with uh, Coppolita? Yeah, so Copolito has never been drilled before, so not unlike Colombo, but Colombo, we had that historic data. Right. So Copolito, we're starting from scratch. There's a little bit of artisanal mining there that was done a long time ago, no modern work. So we, we need a lot of drill holes. This first stage is just going to go in and see if the grades we see, those high grades at surface, we can find them subsurface. Then we're going to have to come in with a much bigger program. Right. Okay. I'm just, I'm just trying to just trying to see if there's a kind of cookie cutter approach to the way you think and the way you you do things. Right. That, that's all I'm trying to do because you, there's a long list, a very long list of, of uh, assets, 
um, some very very you know yeah, you know green, um, and and some you know you've got a bit more data on. So I'm just trying to see, as an organisation that I'd be investing into, you know again, what am I buying into? Is it the fact that you will continue to uh, identify and prospect for for new assets? And whilst working things up to a PEA stage and then bring in partner or, as you say, possibly even flip it um, or, or whatever your model um, is there right, for for, remuner- for um, commercialization of it. So it, is, is there a kind of machine process to this or you just kind of make it up as you go along and make decisions as you go along? I mean, th- that's what I'm interested in understanding. No, it, it's, uh, it's very much a... a- to use your vernacular, a machine process. It's a very systematic approach. Yeah, at the at the very at the at the front end, the very grassroots end, you're looking for good projects. We do that two two ways. We're doing li- literal grassroots exploration boots on the ground. And that and at the same time we're looking at properties owned by others. And those two, one actually stimulates the other. And so then we're looking to acquire a certain type of project, one where we can see big upside, a lot of ounces, and those with good grades, you know, high grade potential. Uh, then when we see, uh, if most of those projects will look for partners right away because they're high risk, early stage, who knows what's going to happen. Sometimes you can't even, you know you're into something, but you don't see the target yet. But those properties where we walk on them, and they're rare, the Negro was one, Promontorio was one, La Ciguera, um, Columbus one, and Copalito was one. Where you walk on there, you do enough work, enough sampling, you see, and you say, okay, we already see enough here where we can see there's a very high likelihood of a resource and you can have 90% confidence or something like that just with one drill program that you're going to have a resource. So that's big bang for your buck. Those ones we save for ourselves to drill because for a bit of drill money, you can be on to a brand new discovery and really change the, the value of the company. Okay, so the, again, because there's a lot of moving parts, suggests that there's a lot of people, there's a lot of overhead. I mean, what's your G&A running at? Yeah, so we probably run around with no drilling going on, about 300,000, 400,000 a quarter with everybody working on the ground. We've got a full-time staff for the last 10 years in Mexico. And these are the guys that generate these opportunities. They, they found La Negra. Uh, they found the Columban project, found Copalito. Um, you know, we're very like hands-on on the ground there in Mexico. And our staffs, like we've got a great staff down there, great experience that really grow. We hired young guys at a university there and groomed them up to managers now, or some one of our senior guys that came out, we hired them at a university. He's even negotiating the deals now for us. So these guys have really come into their own, very solid. Uh, we've got a great office manager down there, very tight control on, on funds and how we spend money and negotiating our surface rights agreements and making sure we do smart deals. 
So, uh, yeah, we got some overhead there, but without that, it wouldn't be, you'd like be everybody else running around just trying to find somebody with a property and do a deal with them and then hire a consultant to do some work and um, work sometimes, but not the, not the best strategy. No, I, I'm, I'm building a picture up of, you know, the type of company you are. Um, through the, through this conversation, so you're you're not going to go out and buy a producer or near term producer. You've no interest in, in in that end of the scale. You you would rather piece together projects from you know say grassroots stage. Um, again, it's fine. It's just people need to know what they're walking into if they you know investing in someone. Okay, so so where's the sex and the sizzle come from for you, or is it just a slow? monotonous, regular, machine-like uh, re- results? Where, 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 how do you, how do you um, get people excited about what you're doing? The sex and the sizzle is in, is in, that, in the discovery. So it, especially with Columba now, it looks like we're really on to a winner there. There's a lot of drilling to do to go yet, but the grades we're getting, the consistency there on that, one particular vein, uh, we start to see that in one or two other veins, and we're really onto something great. And um, Copalita, well, it's early days. We've got pretty high hopes for it too. And and when you start to hit those things, that that really can drive your market cap. That's the discovery is really exciting, and then value right you're adding to the company is really exciting. Okay. Company wasn't doing much until the middle of last year, and then you had that high-grade vein discovery, and I think people have kind of pay, paying attention to what you've got, but it hasn't really done much since then, has it? I mean, what was the next bit of excitement that people can look forward to? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by having done much. We've well, I'm looking at the share. I'm looking at sorry. I'm, sorry, I'm going to be clear. I'm looking at the share price since that discovery yeah. last year. It hasn't really. Done too much. Obviously, the, you've had the COVID V-shaped recovery, which is wonderful. Um, but what, what what do you think people need to be looking at? What do you what do you think they're missing? Well, say uh, about a year ago, before we started drilling, we were at um, we were at about a fourteen cent share price. We spiked up to f- almost forty cents last year came down this COVID all the way back down to 12 and then back up to 40. Now we backed off to 26 and on that chart, you could see that strong possibility of that happening just to fill that gap that was formed when it jumped, really jumped. So continued positive results is gonna continue that uptrend on that stock for sure. Uh, if silver breaks out here, when it, when, every time it trades above 18, we get a big pop in our stock. Um, breaks out, 20 is a major barrier for the silver price. If it can break out and sustain that, we're probably into a bull market then. That'll be a driver, but the real driver is going to be those drill results coming out of Columba. If we get a second one in Copolito, then we're really lucky. That, that'd be great to have two, but one is going to be enough. Columba keeps hitting on all cylinders like it's doing then we're going to continue to see that share price grow. Okay, well, I guess I guess that's what I'd be looking for because, you know, your share price having a correlation to the price of silver is 
it does nothing for me because it says the fundamentals of the company haven't changed or evolved or grown enough. And, you know, that's what I'm looking for too, and I'm sure you are, um, where we can get some of those um, some of those drill results back. And so, so when is the... I'm trying to get an idea. What's your sense of the timing for being able to deliver that kind of news? It's very near term. So our next numbers will be about mid-July. And then we'll be continue to see numbers coming out with our drill program through probably the beginning of November. So we're going to have the next several months of, of, of pretty steady drill results coming. Okay. And um, you don't talk much to the market, it seems, because it was hard to find too much about you guys. So are you the, um, the, 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 the silent, strong silent type? Or have you got... Have you got uh, desires to actually talk to the market a little bit more? Because I think that seemed to be the message we were getting back when we were asking people for questions for you. Is like, you know, they, they want to hear from you more. Well, I'd be yeah, I'd be interested in what markets you're talking to because we'd like to talk to them. Uh, we do talk to quite a few markets. We have real big shareholder base out of Switzerland. Uh, we've been doing a lot of marketing through. Uh, through Europe, through some different mechanisms online here, through COVID here, a lot of one-on-one -on -one meetings. Uh, we attend the major shows, of course. Uh, the Sprout Conference is the next one, which is now going to be virtual. We were at the Zurich uh, Gold Forum in April, which this time was virtual and actually worked quite well. And um, so in, in certain circles, we're pretty well known. So I'd really like to know about those markets that don't know us, and we can and, and figure out how to how to get to them, how to, how to talk to them. Okay. Um, well, I think that's a great first run through uh, of your story. It's new to us. We, we're hearing a lot of new stories this week, which is which is always good. Um, I guess the next conversation will be even more interesting because you'll have something. Uh, positive to tell us hopefully um, we can sort of see if you've been you know delivering on your promises and uh, and see what that does for the share price as well and let's see what happens with silver exciting the breakout yeah it's coming it's you heard it here first yeah. <laughs> okay I love it I love it so what is your prediction for for I was to ask it's a not like I say it's a, it's, a, it's a fool's game but uh, what do you think is going to happen with silver when yeah. you talk about breakout what, what does that mean for you well, I think, yeah, you know, I think silver should be trading now between 25 and 30 dollars an ounce already. And if it just went to its median line, historic, and that depends on what time frame you look at. You can really, you can only go back to 1971 when the gold window closed for that. And, um, and it looks like a cardiac arrest chart, the ratio gold to silver. Quite frankly, everybody says, well, the average should be 50. Or it should be, well, there's kind of a medium line around 60 somewhere, plus or minus. And when it shoots on the high side, right now it's historically high. And then when it goes the other way, it, it'll go as low as like 14. And when it goes the other way, it always overshoots that 60 line pretty significantly. And then it'll come back. So we're going to have a real strong bounce here in silver, like a real strong one. Uh, I don't know where it's going to go. 
Eric Sprott says a hundred bucks. That's probably where you heard that. Yeah, he doesn't say that publicly too often, but occasionally. Um, you know, I think we'll probably run for that $50 high again. We'll see it. I'll be surprised if we don't break it at some point. Um, just because of the macro dynamic this time. And um, when you adjust for inflation, we never broke it, the old high from the 80s last time either. So that could be a possibility. And if, if that happened, then maybe Eric Sport's fairly accurate. I'd be surprised if that happened. Uh, not shocked, though. I'd be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> pleasantly surprised. So, there we go. But yeah, I think I think we're in for a pretty strong move here. Um, you, you 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 focus on the fundamentals and let the market do its thing. I think that's that's the best way to approach these yeah. things. That's all we can do. We have no control over that. We just can have opinions. The right that's the right attitude. Um, well, look, James, um, thank you so much for today. I appreciate you telling the story uh, to, to us and our, the, the watchers here. Um, pick up the phone when you've got something interesting to say. We'd love to hear from you again. Thank you. You bet. Okay, Matt. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.